Well, I'm happy to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again, not only here in South Florida, shout out to Kendall Campus, but across the nation, around the world. And um, you know what? Our thoughts and prayers are still very present with those recovering from any number of disasters across our planet. And today, we remember those in Northern California in the aftermath of the fires, and we continue to pray. Um, we have friends and loved ones, family members there, and please know of our concern and that, um, that we're, we're with you as best we can, though from a distance. Um, also, I want, to say, I want to say thank you to the 300 plus that were out across Dade County yesterday in four different sites on CityServe and taking the good, good deeds, the good news of God out to our own part of the world to uh, help in so many places. And then also today, congratulations to the parents whose children received Bibles as they begin a new adventure in their life as well. And we uh, pray that those seeds that are planted will reap great harvest for you. Now, I want to take us on a little trip today from the sublime to the ridiculous. You know that saying? Oh, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Well, that's where I want to take us. And uh, we're going to start with the sublime, and then I'll let you know when we get to the ridiculous, or maybe you'll figure it out. But I'm going to, I'm going to serve you a ridiculous sandwich today. And it's, I think it's going to be crammed with meat, but the bread is kind of ridiculous, and you'll know, and, um, and I'll tell you when we get there, but I'm sure you'll be the judge of that. So let's start with first the sublime. Paul's letter to the Ephesians has been called the Himalayas of the New Testament. This is like the Mount Everest range of revelation in God. And he takes us there right away. I mean, the chapter barely opens. Bam! Chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms in Christ with every spiritual blessing in him. This is like a pilot's announcement at the beginning of your flight where he says, we'll be traveling today at an altitude of 35,000 feet, so please fasten your seatbelts because we're heading for the heights. Well, that's right where he takes us. Repeatedly, in this letter, Paul uses the phrase, in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies, in the heavenlies, and then these two words, in Christ. Now, what's he talking about? Well, theologians, he's trying to show us what theologians call Positional truth. Positional truth. When we trust Christ and we receive Christ, one of the first things God does is secure us positionally in Christ. And uh, he's in us. We are in him. Now, we communicate this symbolically in communion. When we take the bread and the juice, we are symbolically showing that Christ is is at home within us. And then when we are baptized, guess what we're symbolically portraying? That we are in him. His death, his burial, his resurrection. And now what Paul is doing is saying, doesn't stop there. I mean, he shoots us right up to the other end of the ascension. Christ ascended and now is seated at the right hand of God. So Paul takes us beyond this world to show us the other end of the ascension, where a victorious, risen, lifted off Christ is now seated at the throne of God. And Paul says, and you are seated there with him, in him. Meaning what? We live life down here from our victory that he has already secured up there positionally. And he hits it again in verse 20, chapter 1. God's power has been exerted in Christ as God raised him from the dead. And then he said, and seated him 
it, at the right hand in the heavenly realms. There again, you know, we're way up there, far above all rule and all authority. And he concludes the thought by saying, and he's placed everything under his feet. So now by divine appointment, he is reigning in his fullness through his body, the church, which means if you are in Christ, you are in his body, the church, and God's intention is that you live this life down here from your position in him up there from the throne of God in the heavenlies. What does that mean? Well, let's get real practical about it. You ever heard anybody say this? Hey, how you doing? And the other person goes, okay, I guess under the circumstances. Now, if Paul were listening to that conversation and bringing this truth to that conversation, here's what he'd say. Under under the circumstances. What are you doing down there? Don't you know that you are positioned in Christ above those and beyond those current circumstances in your, in your position? And, um, and maybe it's time for you to start living from your position in Christ. You are seated in the heavenlies in Christ. Everything's under his feet. Maybe it's time for you to grow and to live life above and beyond your circumstances, from your position in Christ. And then Paul models that truth in this letter. You know his circumstances when he wrote it? He's in jail in Rome. Those are his circumstances. He's in prison. He's a preacher without a pulpit. He's, um, he's under Roman lock and key with likely a Roman a chain. He's chained to a guard at the wrist. And yet he doesn't say a word about it in this letter until chapter three, which is like, and then when he does, he goes, he, he celebrates this glory. You'll see it. I'm thinking, well, if I wrote this letter, I'd probably start out like this. Day 97 behind bars. <laughs> Food's bad. Beds are hard. My skin feels really tender where that chain keeps rubbing me. But I guess I'm okay under the circumstances. You know, no, Paul doesn't, not a word like that. I mean, we barely open the letter and he goes, bam, grace and peace to you. And oh, by the way, praise to God who has seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ. That's how the letter's written. And that's how the Christian life is to be led. Your perspective in life flows from your position in Christ. Your perspective in life flows from your position in Christ. And then what happens in chapter three is Paul just celebrates your position, God's plan to put you into Christ's body. And out of that, he creates this new humanity. He creates a new community. He breaks down the barriers of hostility. He brings down the wall. He brings a divided world together in Christ. He says Jew and Greek and Gentile, you know, all the, is representing the ethnicities and the races, insider and outsider to God's covenant story. So those that are seeking but haven't found yet. And so that people... He says, so that now all people everywhere in Christ have access to God and can approach God with freedom and confidence. Think about that. All people everywhere have access to God and can approach God with freedom and confidence. Now that's the first half of the letter. And then he takes us to one of those Mount Everest peaks and he concludes that thought with like, oh, you know how the air's thin up there? It's like, oh, 
It's breathtaking. And, and he shows us the vista in a prayer. I want to pray this prayer for you today. I would like for you to hear this prayer, to receive it as one of Christ's body. You are in him, he is in you, which means you are seated in the heavenlies for living in the earthlies. Wherever your earthly is right now, would you receive this prayer as inspired by the Spirit of God? I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches in Christ, he may strengthen you with his power by his spirit in your inner being so that Christ might dwell in your hearts, set up housekeeping in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love might have power together with all the saints to, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's an experiential knowing that surpasses information. That's what he's talking about. I want you to feel this. I want you to breathe this. I want you to live this. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Not just that your cup be full, but the measure is God's fullness. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. To grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. Now, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Man, that's a powerful prayer. Well, what Paul is saying is, you know, I wish that you could just be overcome by the love of God, that it would be all over you on every side and on the inside and the outside and on every side, that you would know that God's love is so wide. It is wider than the breadth of our lives and the full range of our differences the love of God. It's long. Oh my goodness, it extends beyond the brief span of our 70, 80 years. God's love is longer than the generations from which you came and that will come from you. God's love is longer than human existence. I wish you could understand how wide and how long and how high. Oh, it's so high. It reaches all the way to the right hand of the throne of God in the heavenlies. And I, it's so deep. It's deeper than your grief. It's deeper than your sorrow. It's deeper than your sin. It's deeper than death. It's deeper than hell. And I wish you could know this and feel it and breathe it and live it. Listen, God's love is big enough to unite the whole human race. That's what he's saying. If we'll let it. It's a pretty big vision. But it has to be known heart by heart. You know, that's how it is with love. It only works heart by heart. It works life to life. That's how love travels. And so then Paul brings us to the end of chapter three and we're left just like, God. <sighs> okay, there's the sublime. There's the sublime. Now we're making a turn here. Paul makes a turn from chapter three, so I'm gonna make a turn too. Guess where I'm turning to? From the sublime to the ridiculous, but you'll be the judge of that. Shortly you will. 
But I have a good reason, uh, and then I think you'll see. I want to put an image in your mind that uh, I hope will splash and then wash over you and that will stay with you and maybe even make you smile when you think about it later. Um, imagine if there were such a thing as the Redneck Olympics. <laughs> redneck Olympics. What would the events of a Redneck Olympics be? Okay, now I'm just going to talk about one, and I'm not using that word as an insult. You know, I'm using that word as a redneck is someone who knows the value of a hard day's work in the sun, which is how their neck got red, you know, because they're working hard and the sun's beating down on them, and that's why they have a red neck. What if there were a redneck Olympics? And not only is it somebody who knows the value of a hard day's work in the sun, it's also somebody who can appreciate the simple things in life. So if there were a redneck Olympics, I'm thinking that one of the competitions would be Biggest Splash. Biggest Splash, what do I mean? Well, you know, you can, can't you, a splash competition where you see boys and girls and young people and young adults and some of us perhaps who are young in our minds still, um, just being willing to take the plunge and do the splash and you know if it were a redneck Olympics that there would especially be two kinds of jumps going on. One's a can opener. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's a can opener? A can opener is where one of your legs is extended straight and pointy and the other leg is pulled up to your chest and then you enter the water at a 35 degree angle and then splash because you make a big splash and you try to get a whole lot of people soaking wet. And the other one, you know what the other one is too, don't you? Does anybody not know how to do a cannonball? Does anybody not know how to do a cannonball? You know what a cannonball is? You tuck your, you, you bring your knees up to your chest, you tuck them in, you hold them tight, and you try to make your body in the shape of a cannonball that blasts into the water and makes this huge splash. And the point is the same, you know? Two points, the point is twofold. Make the biggest possible splash you can and get lots of people soaking wet. Make the biggest possible splash you can and get lots of people soaking wet. For more information, contact Christjourney.org forward slash student ministry and they will help you understand what this means. But here's where in chapter four, Paul is calling believers to take hold of their place in the body of Christ and make the biggest possible splash they can. And here's how he says it. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. The word calling is vocare. It's, it comes, we get the word vocation from that. It means the way that you're investing the time of your life to fulfill the calling is to live worthy. Live up to your calling. Now, how do we do that as Christ followers? Through learning body language. Through your body language, you do it. That's what he's talking about in chapter four. Um, and that sounds sublime, doesn't it? We learn the language of the body of Christ, but here's the ridiculous. The body of Christ doing a cannonball off the Himalayas. Yeah! Splash! And then watch it wash out over culture, generations, races, ethnicities over time. This is the universal vision of the church. Make the biggest possible splash and get a bunch of people soaking wet with living water. There's the ridiculous part. Here's the meat. Paul says there are four positions from the body to make the biggest splash. The first one is community. The second one is diversity. The third one is maturity. And the fourth one is productivity. 
and you can do this as part of the body of Christ. These are things that you can do and develop as you grow because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Remember, your perspective in life flows from your position in Christ. And what's supposed to happen? Well, impact that makes a splash. As part of the body of Christ, I help us make the biggest possible splash as I first cultivate community. Cultivate community. Verses one through seven. God has done his work in bringing us together in a new unity of the spirit through the bond of peace that is seen in one body, one spirit, one Lord, one hope, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, over all, through all, and in all. I mean, this is the sevenfold oneness of that unity he's talking about. It's perfect oneness that God is providing. And then our part is to guard that oneness with humility, effort, and love. What does that look like? Well, it looks like cultivating community. That means instead of insisting on getting my way, I'm gonna be open and pliable to the body as Christ brings me together with others and realize, hey, I'm on a team. This isn't just a solo op that I'm involved in that God wants to connect me in community and my part is to cultivate that connection. And you can do that. Here's the second position. I help us make the biggest splash as I celebrate our diversity. Verses seven through 13, speaking of team, when Christ ascended, Paul says, he gave gifts to men, to people, to his body. And verse 11, gifts of grace. Many different gifts, but he gives these gifts to the body through people. That's interesting, other people. So if you wanna receive the gift of God, you gotta be connected to other people to be receiving your full giftedness. He says, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teacher. No one person possesses all the gifts. Different people have different gifts and this church was full of different people. Earlier he says there are Jews, there's Gentiles, there's Greeks, there's insiders and outsiders racially and racially and ethnically he said there's some that know about the covenant others that never heard about it some are foreigners and aliens and now look what god has done he's brought everybody together in one body to do what cannonball hold on boom splash everybody feels the living water did you know that christ journey church is one of the most diverse congregations in the nation of the United States. Did you know that? Maybe you did. Top 3%, probably. The most diverse congregation in the nation. It's part of our splash. We celebrate diversity here as part of our splash. So the next time you bump into somebody who doesn't see things quite the same way you do, instead of reacting immediately, instead of disagreeing on reflex, why not do this? Just take a breath and go, hmm, that's different. And celebrate a little diversity. That's, a, that's what's happening here. Rigidity is not the same thing as stability. Jesus never said, how blessed are you when everybody agrees with you? It's not in there. It's not in there. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. We don't all have to be the same in order to be sharing the same love of God and going the same direction with God. 
So we celebrate diversity, we, commun- we uh, cultivate community because it's part of our body language. And then I help us make a big splash as I grow in maturity. Verses 12 through 16, chapter four, building up the body till we reach unity in the faith, knowing in the knowledge of the Son of God and become, become what? Mature, mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I don't know what your goal is for your life is, but here's God's goal for your life. In Christ, Christ is in you. What's God's goal for you? That you would grow and mature to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. (gasps) What? What does that mean? I mean, I want to know. I want in on that. If that's for real, what does that mean? As an image bearer of God, redeemed by his son, filled by his spirit, and now envisioned for this kind of impact if I would grow. Then he says, well, you're no longer going to be infants, spiritual newborns, easily swayed by false teachers and deceitful schemers. You know, the next fraud for God that shows up selling books and gathering crowds. No, you'll be able to speak the truth in love and we will grow up in Christ. Verse 15, God wants you to grow up. You're meant to grow up in Christ, to become mature in Christ. Now, what does it mean for for us to grow up? It means that you gotta let go of childish things. Childish things. No, they're they're so cute when they're just brand new and and everything's about me. You know, me, 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 feed me, help me, serve me. Oh, look, aren't they so cute? Yeah, but then if they're five years old and still behave in the same way, it's not so cute anymore, right? By that time, you're saying, you know what? You're old enough to feed yourself. You're old enough to tie your own shoes. You can dress yourself. You can help around the house. You can... You know, you start filling in the blanks like that. God is saying the same thing. When you come as part of the church body, you don't come in saying, feed me, serve me, help me. At first you do, but then as you grow, God says, you know what? You could feed yourself. You could start learning how to serve somebody else. You could help people as God's gifts come alive in you and you mature. Verse 16, as we grow individually, here's what it looks like. From him, from Christ, the whole body... Joined and held together. Does that sound like a cannonball to you? The whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament. I love the thought of holding each other together. How is Christ's journey supposed to stay together in a world that is so divided? Well, I'll tell you how. We're supposed to hold each other. That's what he says. You got to hold on. You hold on, you join and you hold on, and then each person grows and builds the body up in love as each part does its work. In other words, the work ethic and the body language of the body of Christ helps produce a greater productivity. So community, diversity, maturity, which leads to productivity in life. Your life has impact. Verse 17, as part of the body of Christ, I have work to do. You have work to do because you're part of the family. I help us make the biggest splash as I increase productivity. He says, I, uh, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Futility means pointlessness, uselessness. It's really not going anywhere. The opposite of futile is productive. 
Oh, there's a harvest. I'm going I'm to take that. Jesus made this promise. He said, as you abide in me, here's what's going to happen. You will bear fruit and fruit, much fruit that will remain. Your life is going to be productive. It's going to have impact because I'm the vine and you're abiding in me and my life will show up in your life. So verse 17 through 32, what Paul does is basically take that concept and said, here's what it'll look like. You can look for three kinds of harvests, at least in your life. There will first be increased purity. When Christ in you is showing through you, there'll be a new taste for the things of God. He says, instead of turning to sensual lust and partying and debauchery to try to feel alive, to try to feel something, no, you're coming alive in Christ. There's a new sensitivity. So you put off the old self and you put on the new self and you develop this acquired taste for holiness. These things didn't used to matter to me, but now could I have some more of that, please? I'd like another helping of that, please. So increased purity. Then there's increased integrity. This is self-control. This is self-management that shows up in what you say, in what you feel, in what you do. Here's how you can tell that you're growing in Christ. It shows up in your mouth. It shows up in your emotional life, your anger management, and it shows up in your behaviors. Verse 25, put off falsehood and speak truthfully. We're all members of one body. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk. Think about this one. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Man, if the thousands of Christ's journey family members just applied this one for two weeks, would the splash be felt in our marriages, in our families, in our workplace, in our schools? It's just, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what's helpful that could build others up according to their needs. Which means I gotta be paying attention and listening before I start talking, and then I'm gonna be part of the solution rather than the problem. That's like, you know, the wisdom writer says life and death are both in your tongue. And here's what Paul says, when, you're, when you've got life flowing in you, you wanna let it come out of you, and the place to do it is through your mouth. So speak life to each other. This is a big one, isn't it? And then next, not only what you say, but what you feel, emotional control. Verse 26, in your anger, don't sin. He doesn't say, so stop being angry. No, there's lots of stuff to be angry about in this world. You know? But just because you have anger doesn't mean that anger has to take you into a more dangerous place. He's talking about learning how to manage our soul's emotions. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. You know, unresolved anger can lead you to places you don't want to go and can make you a slave to things that you never thought you'd do. There's an Arab proverb. It says, anger is the wind that blows out the candle of the mind. But the power of God in you can increase your relational productivity through emotional management. In your anger, don't sin. It's possible. Verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. That means all the anger inside that starts showing up outside and hurting people along with every form of malice. So stop holding grudges. Just let them go. Instead, be kind. Be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other as God in Christ forgave you. Take hold of the body of Christ to make the biggest splash. 
How do I do that? Well, I'll control my mouth. Got to control my emotional anger and then control your behaviors. Now, you know how I can say you can do this? You can do this because of your position in Christ. Not because of who you are, but because you are in the heavenlies already victorious in Christ and your position in him is supposed to flow into your perspective down here. And he's saying, you know, God is at work in you. The power of Christ is at work in you and he can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So the potential is there for some real life change to happen that could lead to maturity and productivity in life, especially when it comes to your behavior. What behavior? Well, your love life is where he goes next. Ephesians 5, your love life. Live a life of love, but not the way the world approach, what the world calls love, involving sexual immorality, some kind of impurity, obscenity, coarse joking. Verse 5, he says, of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So don't be deceived because of such things, God's wrath coming on the disobedient. Now, this is not a new thought in the letter we saw last week. He said, man, this is part of the downward spiral that's got us captive. He said, so here's the thing. While you're making your own choices about the way your life is going to have impact, don't back up. Don't go back to where you've been. No, lean forward into the light and let God's love shine in your life. Live as children of the light. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. Love means living in the light, away from the futility of dark deeds that increase the downside. Rather, no, increase your productivity, not your futility, and it'll show up in your purity, your integrity, and your love. The harvest that God wants to bring to your life can show that Christ is alive in our world and you are an extension of his life. Now, extension cords can be pretty handy, can't they? You know why? Because they allow you to get the power from the source out to the need. And this is really important because it's not always easy to get the need to the source, is it? And I'm thinking, no, not in my life either. You know, there's lots of needs in our world. There's lots of needs in our marketplace, in our neighborhood, in our families. There's lots of needs in our homes. And sometimes the need is not of a mind to go to the power source. Does this happen to you? So what's supposed to happen if we could be humble enough to say that Christ's journey might be one of those sources of power that can get love and life from God into the need? What does God do when the, the mind of the need isn't of a mind to come to the power? Here's his idea, extension cords. Oh my, I've got extension cords. Have you ever thought of your life being extension cord for the love and life of God? Because that's sublime. Maybe you're thinking, no, that's ridiculous. No, this is where they both meet. Your life becomes an extension of the power of God right to the place in your life where you're saying, you know, somebody ought to do something about that because you're seeing the need. And maybe Christ could say, well, in your part of the world, you might just be the extension card, part of my body in a broken world. Now, there's a story told that during World War II, there was a church in Strasbourg, Germany, which was totally destroyed, everything destroyed, except a statue of Christ that stood by the altar, and uh, it, it lost both hands. 
<laughs> statue without hands. When the church was being rebuilt, a famous sculptor came and said, I'll be glad to reattach, you know, I'll design some hands for your statue. And the church thought about it and said, no, no, we're going to keep it like that. And this is what they said, Christ has no hands but ours to do his work in our world. If we don't feed the hungry, if we don't slake the thirsts of the needy, if we don't embrace the strangers, if we don't visit the imprisoned, then who's going to do it? Now remember, this is after the, the, in the aftermath of the war that had shredded the nation. But here was a church saying, ah, we're the hands. We're the extension cords. We're the people. Could I say the same thing to you for our city, for our world, for our nation? Could God be saying, can I help you think a little larger than yourself and let you see what I'm up to and if we could be those extension cords, what would happen? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things was we'd be making the biggest possible splash to get as many people soaking wet as, right, as we could. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for modeling for us this very truth that you took the first jump. From the heavenlies, you clothed yourself in a human body. You entered into our history, into the brokenness of our culture, of our civilization story. And you have not left, you have not abandoned us, you have put your spirit in us and we're just like, this is just ridiculous. Serious? Are you serious, Lord? Yes, I know you are. That your idea of the sublime is to redeem your image in human beings through connecting us with yourself and with one another and then pouring the living water out to a, thirsty, dying world. And so we, we just humbly say once again, thank you. And believer, if you're saying today, um, I need a fresh taste of that water, then would you open your heart and receive right now the gift that you already have in Christ positionally? Lord, I thank you for the position I have in Christ. And for some, maybe you're saying, and you heard God call, and so you're saying, yes, Lord, I will be the extension cord to my marriage. I'll be your extension cord to my family. I'll be your extension cord to my work, to my community, to my school. I'll be the, I don't have the power, but I can sure show it. And you know I'm not perfect, so you're gonna have to guide me, you're gonna have to bless me, you're gonna have to teach me how to use my mouth, how to manage my anger, how to, how to love what you love and love people like you do. So I yield. Or maybe today you're a seeker and you'd like to take your first step in God's direction. You can do it simply by saying, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe you are God's source of power and love for me. Forgive my sins, fill me as you desire, and then lead me to the whole measure of fullness as you promised. And I trust you in Jesus' name. Our heads bowed just for a moment longer, but if you prayed that prayer with me and would let me ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith, I'm gonna ask you simply to raise your hand 
and hold it up just for a moment. We won't linger long. And if you're joining us online, then you can click that orange banner right there on the screen right now. Thank you. Here in the front, right in the middle, thank you. Toward my left, thank you. Right on the aisle, thank you. To my far left, God bless you. Anyone else? To my right, God bless you, sir. Lord Jesus, for every person who by uplifted hand is just saying, I'm open. I would love to taste that living water. We pray you would pour it all over them right now in response to your promise that as we trust you, you said out of our innermost being would flow rivers of living water. In your name we pray, amen.